All right, I'm finishing <clears throat> doing part two on what I started last week is we're going through the book of Acts. I'm going to talk to you about the marks of a healthy church. Why did the church in Jerusalem grow like it did? And um, uh, as, I, as I said, we're in Acts chapter two, and it's the day of Pentecost. But what I notice is most people, when they come to Acts chapter two, you know what they focus on? They focus on the power of that day and the miracles of that day when God focuses on the preaching of that day. Most of Acts chapter two contains a message that Peter preached and the effect of that message on people. It wasn't the miracle of tongues that saved anybody. Did you notice that? Tongues doesn't save anybody. A miracles never saves any, may encourage you, but it does not save a soul. The preaching of the word of God, the preaching of the gospel saves sinners. God has uh, God's made, made it so that the foolishness of preaching saves them that believe. So Peter's preached his heart out about the coming day of the Lord. 3,000 respond. They get baptized. And um, uh, that church in Jerusalem becomes a vibrant, um, strong, healthy church. Let's look in chapter 2. Let's read verse 41 down to verse 47. <clears throat> and when we come to these verses, I mean, we could just read them over and just walk on, but they are ingredients to a strong church. And I know a lot of companies and churches have what are called mission statements, what they want to be and what they want to do. Well, this is a Bible-believing church's mission statement. Watch this, verse 41. Then they... They gladly received his word, were baptized, and the same day there were added unto them about 3,000 souls. And they continued steadfastly <clears throat> in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, in the breaking of bread, and in prayers. Didn't do it sporadically. They did it steadfast. They were consistent. Verse 43, and fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done by the apostles. And all that believed were together and had all things common sold their possessions and goods and parted them to all men as every man had need. They, continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. Now that church in Jerusalem had joy. I mean, they just, they just enjoyed everything about it. The moment before, and that's what salvation will do to you, the moment before you get saved, hymn music is ugh. preaching is long. Christians are, are boring. But as soon as you get saved, it's like, wow, keep going. Let's sing again. Boy, I love God's people. That's a change of heart. And if your heart hasn't been changed, if you still drag out of the bed, if you still barely come to church, if the Bible is not something that is alive and exciting to you, you got to check your heart. Because joy is what happens when you get saved, folks. And you need to pray like David, maybe, where David said, restore unto me the joy of thy salvation. Maybe you lost your joy. Maybe you never had it. But it ought to be there. They had joy. They also, people were getting baptized. It was something where it wasn't just a, you know, a, 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 a incognito, a hidden, uh, invisible church. No, this was out in the open. I'm following Jesus. The Christians became committed to church. They joined the church. They added themselves to that small group. They said, we're with you. Wherever you meet, we will meet. Whatever you do, we're going to do. That's commitment. That's church membership. And they were steadfast. And I read it. They learned Bible doctrine. They 
fellowship together. It's not just on occasion. Now, we can't fellowship as much as they did in those days. We kind of have to work. We just, this is daily in the temple. In every house, they cease not to teach and preach. They couldn't get enough of each other. But they are our example. That's where our mission statement says every time that we can fellowship together, we ought to be close together. They broke bread. Um, uh, i got to catch up here. They broke bread, calling it, that's the Lord's Supper. It was very simple. It was just bread and what we call fruit juice, uh, grape juice, um, un- non-alcoholic wine. And they had simple remembrance of what it costs to save them. Jesus died and, and, and uh, on that cross, and they loved it. And then they were constant in their praying. You know who they were talking to when they were praying? Jesus. They, they, they never wanted to let distance. I mean, he was gone, but they never wanted to let that stop them from fellowshipping with Jesus. Don't ever let that, that joy that you got when you got saved go where you can go days and weeks without just spending time with Jesus. That was just the beginning, folks. And I want you to understand each of those, plus the ones we're going to look at now, are like cogs in, a, in, a, in an engine. You ever seen these engines in these race cars? They are so complex. They are so many different moving parts. And when all of them are working together, you know what you have? Horsepower. You've got thrust. You've got pull. You've got motion. And what God does is he takes us and he, if we just do our part, if we just get into place, that's why the Bible calls us assembling together, where when we assemble together and when we're all in motion, we get some horsepower. We get some things going. We become a church in motion. So let's see what other things these Christians had <clears throat> uh, that, that made them strong. Go to verse 43 where we pick up here. In verse 43, it uses a phrase here. <clears throat> it says, and they, uh, verse 43, and fear came upon every soul. It is strange that people are afraid of fearing God. That's kind of a strange fear. People are arrogant about their freedom from such fear. They go, I don't, I don't fear God. Well, that's a stupid way to live. How can you say that? Go to Proverbs chapter 8. Hold your place here. Proverbs chapter 8, a couple of scriptures we need to look at. I'm talking about a proper kind of fear. Proverbs chapter 8, verse 13. Honestly, fear is a good thing. Uh, uh, Say, why'd you get saved, Brother Ledbetter, 41 years ago? Because I didn't want to go to hell. I feared God was right to send me there. I didn't think I was that bad of a person, but I definitely wasn't good enough to go to heaven. So I feared God. That drove me to Christ. Now that I'm saved, should I fear God? Look at 8.13. The fear of the Lord is to hate evil. All right, here we go. That's what he's talking about. I choose to follow a holy God. Therefore, I hate evil and I fear falling back in love with my sin. Look what he says. Pride and arrogancy and the evil way and the froward, the lying mouth, do I hate. So the fear of the Lord, that's something that I'm supposed to do. Look, chapter 9, verse 10. <clears throat> the fear of the Lord is the beginning of, I wish when you were in first class, second class, third class, on the first day of class, they stood up and they memorized that verse. Because don't you fear the teacher. A lot of you grew up fearing your teacher. <laughs> When you should have been taught to fear the Lord. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and the knowledge of the holy 
That is understanding. Look at chapter 16, 16 and verse 6. Say, what good is the fear of the Lord? Look at verse 6. Proverbs 16, 6, by mercy and truth, iniquity is purged. And by the fear of the Lord, men depart from evil. You know, it'll keep you from <clears throat> going off into sin, fearing God. If you've got a flippant attitude towards God, I know where you'll be in a year. You'll be back down to the pub. You'll be messing around with the wrong crowd. But if you fear standing before God and facing God and having to answer to God for how you lived your life that he gave you, you might not just go back that way anymore. These men and women, they newly saved. They feared God. They feared starting off wrong and bringing all the religious baggage with them into their new walk with Jesus. You know, at this point, there are no Jewish Christians. There are no Catholic followers of Christ. They are just sinners that have been saved by grace. They didn't need to bring, you, you come to God as you are. The Lord says, you can leave that, you can leave that, let that go, just follow me. They feared messing up this new church that they were joined up with, they were living in. And every soul in that church feared God in a healthy way. And so should we. Fearing God's a good thing. Proverbs, uh, look at chapter 14, verse 27, one page back. <clears throat> Proverbs 14, 27. The fear of the Lord is a fountain of life. It's not, not something that will ruin your life. It's a fountain of life to depart from the snares of death. If you find yourself in danger, what do you do? You get out of it. You run from it. You flee the danger. Good. If I know I'm in trouble with God, I have a place to run. You know where I run? Jesus Christ. You see, I'm supposed to fear God. That makes me respect God, but it makes me also realize, so there is a Savior. Uh, I'll be right back, Lord. I got to go deal with your son who will make it possible for me to be on good terms with you. Look at chapter 16 and verse 6. Back to chapter 16 and verse 6. Oh, I already read this. By mercy and truth, iniquity is purged, and by the fear of the Lord, men depart from evils. I say this all the time. If you would learn to fear God, you will learn to not fear anything else. Whether it's COVID or whether it is economic disaster, which is coming, by the way. <clears throat> Fearing God is a good thing, a very healthy thing. And the question is, do you fear God? Do you fear what he's going to expose in your life one day? You know, he sees you. Forget about Santa. And he's not obsessed with you, but he does keep records just like your boss does. Just like uh, your parents did. What time did you come in last night? What time uh, did you do your homework? Da -da -da. Listen, the Lord knows what you're thinking. The Lord knows where your eyes wander. <clears throat> the Lord knows what your heart desires, what your heart lusts for. And uh, we, we, we don't understand. One of these days, we're going to stand before, if you're saved, the judgment seat of Christ. The Lord's not going to condemn you but he's actually going to expose you. And you may look at me and say, oh, Pastor Craig, you must never sin. Boy, do you have a lot to learn. And one of the most terrifying things, you ought to read there in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, Paul says this, talking to Christians, says, knowing therefore the terror of the Lord. It's going to be terrifying to be at the judgment seat of Christ. The Lord's going to actually show what hypocrites we were and just how shallow our Christianity was. See, he won't let us just get away with a facade. and with well, We're not going to be like politicians. God's going to strip us down. He's going to say, that's what you really were, Craig, and I still loved you. 
and I still give you chance after chance after chance. <clears throat> if you're unsaved, it's a whole lot worse. You're going to stand before something called the judgment seat. I'm sorry, the great white throne judgment of God. And it says even the planet Earth is going to disintegrate in his presence. All the stars, all the planets, all the galaxies are going to flee when God steps into this universe. And you, if you're not saved, are going to be suspended in the middle of space. And you're going to have nothing to stand on. You're going to have nothing to hold on to. And God will speak and you will weep. And he will say, open the books. Is there name in that book? Yeah, but God, I did a great thing. Look, God, I did this and I joined this church and I prayed this. Or is the name in the book of life? And the angel will say, nope. <clears throat> and he'll say, depart from me, you cursed. You see, it's a good thing to fear God because he's in charge. He's the one you have to deal with. So you have not met my mother. <laughs> She's nothing like the day you stand before God. It is appointed a man once to die. And after this, the judgment. Are you ready? Those Christians feared God and it made for a healthy and a great church because we don't take what we do flippantly. This is serious business. These are the lives of people who count on this place to be a safe place, who count on this place to be a place that's not up and down and wacko and left and right and where we don't care what we do. We do care what we do. We care what is said. We care what is, what is, what is projected by us, that we are real people and that we love everyone. Now, we don't tolerate everyone, but we go out of our way to win everyone, and we want everyone to know Jesus saves sinners. If you don't get saved, it's serious business, and we want it to be serious. They feared God. <clears throat> Do you fear God? Mark chapter 4 says, there's nothing hid which shall not be manifested. You say, my mother doesn't even know about such and such. Yeah, well, one day she will. <laughs> <clears throat> You fear backsliding? Do you fear a year from now not being in church? You ever fear that? You ought to fear that. You ought to fear, well, if pastor ever makes me upset, I'm gone. You ought to fear that because that's not something to be proud of. If I can upset you, the devil will bring up everything that I can say to make you upset. Fear God. <clears throat> Proper healthy fear makes for a great church. Secondly, look at verse, 20, uh, verse 43 still. <clears throat> great fear came upon every soul and many wonders and signs were done by the apostles. Now that makes me think of a wonderful thing. That church experienced the supernatural. That, that church was not just there and people come and go and nothing happened. No, some things were happening in that church. In the first century, there were loads of special signs and miracles done. Jesus started it. I mean, wouldn't you have loved to have been around walking with Jesus and then there was somebody who had just died, he'd reach over and he'd touch the, the, the casket and they'd pop up again. Wouldn't you have loved to have been there? Well, now he's gone and yet the stuff's still going. Miracles are still happening. But they were mainly done by the apostles. Jesus had given his apostles the very same power that he had. Go back to chapter two and verse 43 in Acts. Look in verse, <clears throat> I said in verse 43, Many wonders and signs were done by the apostle. Look at chapter 3 and verse 6. Look at, this is Peter. Notice, this is not just some Joe Soap Christian. This is specifically Peter. Then Peter said, silver and gold have I none. You can tell right there he wasn't the pope. 
Silver and gold have I none, but such as I have, give I thee in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Rise up and walk. And all of a sudden, that lame man born, crippled from his birth, stood up, began walking and leaping and praising God. Look at chapter 4 and verse 33. <clears throat> 4.33. You ought to circle these words. It says, and with great power gave the apostles. Witness of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus and great grace was upon them all. The apostles were doing the work. Look at chapter 19 and verse 11. One more here, 19 and 11. And God wrought, did special miracles by the hand of Paul. So you'll find the majority of miracles were being done by the apostles. Today, guess what? The apostles are gone. You ever meet anybody who claims to be an apostle? Walk away. They're after your money. <laughs> All they want. They're after your admiration. They're lying to you. They do not have the abilities of a real apostle. They're frauds. And I've seen them and I've confronted them. They are liars and they have no business behind being behind a pulpit and call themselves a prophet or calling themselves an apostle. Just be a preacher and just preach the gospel. Just preach the Bible. There's enough in there to preach without you giving new revelation. The apostles are gone. There were only 12 of them, and they were finished up by 95 AD when the apostle John dies. Now, I wish we had their gifts, don't you? Don't you wish you could go into a hospital and raise up that nine-year-old who's battling leukemia? Don't you wish you could fix a broken, here come your, uh, two of my kids have fallen out of trees and off walls and broken arms. Wouldn't it be great if they come home and call Pastor Ledbetter, and I come in, and I touch their broken arm. Wouldn't that be awesome? That'd be awesome. But you know, just because the apostles are gone, never forget, and just because those kind of miracles are not around. Say, well, I've seen miracles. You have not. Not by people. You've never seen anybody with a shriveled up arm or an arm that's actually amputated grow back. You've never seen anybody with a, with a back injury where they were crippled from the neck down, all of a sudden walk again. You've never seen a real miracle. So don't talk about that. Don't even bring that in. What you need to realize is that we still see real miracles. We actually do see marriages being salvaged. That's a miracle. We get to watch prodigal sons and daughters come home. That's a miracle. We get to see uh, joy replacing sorrow and beauty for ashes. We see hardened souls who get saved. We see impossible answers to prayer. Addicts getting free from alcohol and drugs and gambling and porn. I think those are pretty supernatural too. I wish we had these kind of miracles, but they're mainly for the Jews and they were to prove that what the apostles were saying and what the Christians were saying was true. I, I, all I need now is the Bible to do that. But I still need miracles. I still need God to answer my prayers. So what am I getting at? We still need and to believe God for everything that is hard and, for, and impossible. Go to Matthew. Hold your place here still. Go to Matthew chapter 19. <clears throat> Matthew chapter 19, verse 26. I like how Jesus says this. But Jesus beheld them and said unto them, with men, this is impossible, but with Peter, all things are possible. Is that what it says? Yeah, you see, Peter was going to come and go. 
James and John were gonna come and go, but with God, I think God is still there, isn't he? So we can still believe him for miracles. We still, and we still need to, let me tell you, you wanna have a, 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 a healthy, vibrant church? Let's expect impossible things to still happen. Let's believe God for the impossible. Don't get so uh, lazy where, well, I'll, if something happens, no, 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 let's believe something to happen. Healthy church experiences the impossible being done. Meeting needs. Look at chapter, back in Acts chapter 2, verse 44 and 45. <clears throat> he continues. And all that believed were together. Wow. So there weren't those in Montanati and those down across the river, you know, they were all together. I like that. I mean, they're just, I'm going to say some things here. They were together and they had all things common. And they sold their possessions and goods and parted them to all men as every man had want. I want that. No, no, no. As every man had need. There was a great need at that day. Did you know when you got saved, you know what you lost? Your job. The moment they found out that you were no longer Jewish, <laughs> you were no longer family. You were kicked out of home. You were uh, fired from your jobs. Nobody wanted to be around you. Talking about in the community, you were on your own. So Christians took care of each other. This is not communism that's being described here. They, they saw each other as the same. They didn't see somebody as higher, Bishop Ledbetter, or somebody else lower. Oh. This person, you know, we can't trust them. They're undependable. No, they're family. They saw each other as family. No matter where they were from, they saw each other as family and they saw each other's needs. Isn't it important to care more about people than your own possessions? Isn't it important to do that? <clears throat> when did that change? When did Christianity start worrying about what was in our pocket instead of being a blessing to someone else? They gladly gave to meet each other's needs. They even sold their possessions so they had money to meet each other's needs. They didn't, they, they didn't expect the government to take care of them. The reason why this church is not busting at the seams, the reason why gospel preaching churches are struggling to survive is because nobody needs God. If there was trouble and the government couldn't take care of you, all of a sudden people start knocking on the church door. <laughs> Isn't that funny? I'm not for the government taking care of every one of your needs. They're supposed to only help when you have no one else. But we have each other. And we forget that. <clears throat> they had all things common. Now, what did that mean? It means it wasn't communism. Do you know what communism, no one owns anything. Everything is owned and controlled and distributed by the government. You only have one choice, work and then die. <laughs> That's communism. This is also not socialism, where they had all things common. See, in socialism, you're allowed to work for wealth, but the government decides how your wealth is distributed among everyone else. You can make all the money you want. We're just going to tax it and tax it and tax it, take away from you. Do you know when in, in France, you're not allowed to be a millionaire? It's not possible to be a millionaire in France. The more money you make, the more they tax to keep you from reaching that millionaire mark in your pocket. Guess what? 
first of all, people will lie to keep their millions and not uh, go to the to government. And secondly, people won't work. Because why do it when all you do is every time you work more, you're taxed higher. Socialism just sees you just keep working and we'll just keep taking. That's Ireland today. And you guys are just totally going with it. Wake up and elect some people who shrink the government. Let people make their own money. Nobody trusts anybody these days. You know, the more money you have as a Christian, the more you can give away. That's why everybody, whether you're 16 or 60, should work so that you can help. Be a blessing. Don't wait. Don't expect the government to do it. We take care of one another. Biblical Christianity is where you work for your money. You have your property and you choose whether you keep it or give it. We're going to read that in Acts chapter five, where Barnabas goes and sells some land and he gives all the money. And boy, he's he's honored and everybody's all impressed. And he's like, no, no, no. I just want to make sure there's enough money for for people who are in need. And Ananias Sapphira say, boy, look at all the attention he got. Let's sell our land and then own, and, and say we gave it all, but we'll keep back some. You know what Peter said to him? Was it not yours when you started? And when you sold it, was not the money yours? And, and if you only wanted to say we gave half or 10% or whatever, who cares? But because you lied, you're dead. And they dropped dead in his office. Next time you come to the pastor's office, I'm going to ask you, are you lying on your tithing? <laughs> Everybody stands outside my office. Pastor, can I talk to you out from here? <clears throat> completely, these men and women are completely voluntary. They respond to need. They're not forced to give. You know what Christians do? We give because we want to, because Christ gave to us. They were, you know what they were doing? They didn't mind selling things and, and giving up money because they expected Jesus to come back. What if we actually did start to again believe that maybe Jesus is coming back? Yes, you buy a house, but if there's a big enough need, do you need everything in that house? Do you need 15 different pairs of trousers? <laughs> 47 shoes. Actually, you have to have 48. <clears throat> do you have to have all that stuff? No. We Christians need to start living again like Jesus is coming back soon. What has all your attention? If you're, if you're watching the crypto market and the stock market, <laughs> wouldn't it have been better to just invest in people? Amen. They met needs. They met needs. Unity. Look back there in Acts 2.46. <clears throat> and they continued daily with one accord in the temple and breaking, house from bread, uh, breaking bread from house to house. Just notice that one accord. Accord is, is, a, is a wonderful word. It simply means harmony. You ever heard discord? You have a couple of instruments and they don't get the same note quite right. and It's awful. Accord is when everyone is in harmony. They're in agreement. They have the same mind and heart. They're not at discord. They're not in, 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 in arguments or fighting or complaining. Three times this is said that they were in one accord. Look in chapter 1 and verse 14. Acts 1, 14, they, these all continued with one accord, unity. They had the same heart and mind, same desires in prayer and supplication. Go to uh, chapter 2, verse 1. And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one 
place. I think every Christian ought to drive a Honda Accord after that. I'm in one accord. Amen. <laughs> I and my wife are in one accord anyway. <clears throat> it's the only time we are, but whatever. Christian culture is supposed to be known by unity. And unity, not just for unity's sake, but under the authority of the word of God. The only thing that will give us the ability to be unified is this book. See, where I have the same mind of Christ as you do because we got the mind from the Bible. Well, I just spent the last week in prayer and I think I have the mind of Christ. Uh, does it match the Bible? Then you have the mind of Christ. But if it's some new fancy thing that you came up with while you were eating pizza, then it's not the mind of Christ. This gives us one heart and one mind. We also need the enabling power of the Holy Spirit to stay unified. Would you agree? Our own flesh, our own nature does not like to get along with everybody else. We want everybody else to get along with us. And it takes the Holy Spirit to constantly be dominating our lives. We won't stay together unless the Holy Spirit is in charge of our emotions and our heart. And one other thing, we need Christ's love. Paul said we need to speak the truth, ladies and gentlemen, in love. Don't forget that. I may need to rebuke you, but I better do it in love. Amen? That keeps us unified. If you know that I love you, you'll listen. It takes, it takes a lot of hard work to stay unified, though, as a church. <clears throat> Look at Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 2. Ephesians 4 and verse 2 and 3. Ephesians 4 verse 2, with all lowliness and meekness, describing humility here, with long-suffering, that's putting up with people, forbearing one another, how? In love, you do it, not in bitterness. Verse 3 endeavoring that's our labor working hard to keep the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace that's our job i have to go out of my way to make sure things work because it doesn't take anything to tear something down does it remember uh i don't know maybe your kids were different my kids i'd spend hours with them let's build a tower and it would take 10 or 15 minutes, we get it up three or four feet taller than the kids. And they look at it and they go, <laughs> it's a whole lot more fun to watch it fall than to do all that building. Well, listen, don't you be on the wrong side and say, I love watching a church fight. <laughs> no, endeavor to keep the unity of the spirit. It takes work. Don't be so easily offended. Don't get upset. Let's be unified. Look at Psalm 133. <clears throat> Psalm 133. Unity is such a powerful force in a church, and especially, I thought about this, in marriage even. How much better it is when the two of you are together on things. Psalm 133, verse 1. Behold, how good and how pleasant it is for brethren. Notice, I can't get along with everybody out in the world, but I certainly should be able to get along with you if I tried to dwell together in, there's our word, what is it? In unity. It is like the precious ointment upon the head that runneth upon the beard, even Aaron's beard. You have no idea. You and I, most of us have no idea the joy of just being doused with oil because we don't live in a hot climate. <laughs> no, we don't. 
but I'm talking about a hot, dry climate where you've been out all day. You ever notice why they wear those turbans? To protect their head. So you come in and you've been out, you've been chasing after sheep and goats and, and scorpions all day, and then somebody just pours oil on the top of your head and it drips down, and you're like, leave me here for a day. Look what it says, that unity. Now, this is actually speaking with Aaron and how it's a spiritual blessing upon the high priest there. Even Aaron's beard dripping all the way down went down to the skirts of his garments as the dew of Hermon. Dew is something when you're hot. That morning dew is so comforting that descended upon the mountains of Zion for there at that place of unity, the Lord commanded the blessing, even life forevermore. God likes it when we're unified in heart and mind. Do you even care? Do you even care to be in unity with other believers in this church? Or as soon as you're offended, do you walk away? You only Are you only here because I haven't offended you yet? That's the question. They went on, look at chapter two, back to Acts chapter two and verse 47. <clears throat> Praising God. Praising God. <clears throat> Notice what the new Christians were doing when they got together. Praising God. Worship by Christians is active and joyous and sometimes loud. Amen. Uh, we're not supposed to just sit here like so many people do on a Sunday and are just passive. This is not a train ride, folks. This is not a cruise ship. This is church. And we ought to praise God. It's okay to say amen. It's okay to, to sometimes get excited. And when we're pulling out the hymns and we're singing blessed assurance, we ought to go, yes, I'm saved. I, I have assurance of my salvation. Jesus is mine. Oh, I shouldn't have said it so loud. <laughs> go to 2 Chronicles. 2 Chronicles. These few little verses have some great cross-references. 2 Chronicles, just before Psalms. Go back a few more books to 2 Chronicles chapter 30 and verse 21. By the way, can I, can I tell you what we are? This is, this, is, this is a building, and we can call it the house of the Lord, and it is, supposed, it is dedicated to prayer, yes. But it's more dedicated to preaching and to family time. Because in the first century, you know what they didn't have? One building. They met in houses. They met spread all over the city. And it was the only time on a Sunday where they got together. And the last thing you want to do is just sit there and not make a sound. I don't want to, I don't want to upset anybody. I don't want to act unspiritual. No, they had time together and they praised God. Look at 2 Chronicles chapter 30 in verse 21. Children of Israel that were present at Jerusalem kept the Feast of Unleavened Bread just before the Passover, seven days with great gladness. Not a little, but a lot of gladness. Chapter 30, 2 Chronicles 30, verse 21. And the Levites and the priests praised the Lord day by day, singing with loud instruments on the Lord. They didn't have a drum among them, amongst them, by the way. But they wanted people to sing. Go to another one. Uh, Psalm 98, Psalm 98, 
Psalm 98 and verse 4. Make a joyful noise unto the Lord. A joyful noise. That's all some of us can do. Amen. <laughs> make a joyful noise unto the Lord, all the earth. Make a quiet noise. Is that what it says? Go ahead and, and now I'm not saying be nuts, all right? But boy, make a loud noise and rejoice and sing what? What's our word? There's our word, praise. We just lift up the Lord Jesus. In my heart, I'm still a Pentecostal. Because I fell in love with the Lord loving me. And I just love singing loud. I love shaking hands like it's the last time I ever will. I love praising God. I don't want it to be just the charismatics and the Pentecostals who, when they're at church, they're enjoying God. Now, I think they're extreme. But don't be the opposite extreme where we just sit down here like you're a bunch of statues. You are breathing, aren't you? There ought to be praise. Folks, let me tell you, we ought to bow our heads in humility and quietness when we pray. But we ought to also lift up our voice in gratefulness and thanksgiving and praise to God when it's time to worship. There is a time to be quiet in the house of the Lord. And there is a time to be joyful. Let's work on our worship. Because a healthy church is known for its worship, not its entertainment. I never want anybody to say, wow, that was very entertaining today, Pastor. Oh, I will die. I want people to come, not because there's a lot of money in that church. No. I want people to come, not because there's great atmosphere, <laughs> great lighting and music. No. People want to come because God is being worshipped there. You know, you ought to be able to get to the place where you sing and worship Jesus even though there's a heartache and a pain throbbing in the background. Church is a house full of family. Some of them are next door in the crash. And you know what used to happen in churches when people got together? There was weeping. At the same time, somebody was singing. Somebody else was just praising God. That's church. That's what we need. And that's what is missing in our world. The world thinks church is dead. They think church is gone. They think church is a museum. Verse 47, Acts 2, verse 47. Got to wrap this up. 2, verse 47. <clears throat> Praising God and having favor with all the people. You know what they had? They had a good testimony. You know, the world is watching us. We may not be on TV. <laughs> Thank God. We are, we are watched closer than we think. People notice when we gather together. They notice our attitudes when we're coming to church. You are coming to church. <laughs> they notice our lateness. They notice our joy, our singing. They notice our families. Do people see holiness in us or do they see just the same as themselves? That's why it's okay. Listen, you can come any way you want. Well, almost. You know, I like stepping away from the world and being a little bit different. Dressing up a bit on a Sunday is not a bad thing. You know why? Because it's the Lord's day. It's not my day. The world's watching. Do they hear clean language out of our mouth or the same filth that spews out of everyone else's mouth? I despise the fact that I know Christians who are just as saved as I am, just as committed to the Bible as I am, but out of their mouth comes filth sometimes. 
And it's like, I just want to slap them because that's not right. And the world is watching and they are listening. These Christians had favor with everyone. They all looked and says, you know, those people, they're good people. A healthy church has a good testimony and protects that testimony. Because people outside need to see if Jesus really works. Has he worked? Does, 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 does your life show that Jesus is there and he's changed you and saved you? If any man be in Christ, he's a brand new creature. You ought to be different. Let's learn to care about what people see in us. Do they see constant complaining? That ought not to be so. God killed Israel when they complained. One last thought. Let's earn the favor and respect of those who have given up on God and the Bible. One of the best ways to get the right and get the privilege of being able to give the gospel to somebody who's given up on God is to see, it seems like God's still with you. It seems like God is alive with you. I tell you, the only reason why I listened to Maureen Smith give me the gospel on that Saturday night was because she talked like he was alive. She had a joy. She had a confidence. There was not an arrogance. She just loved the Lord Jesus, and she loved me, and she said, you got to get saved. I said, you really believe that? She said, sure do, and so will you if you just open it up and read it. You want to earn the right for people to be able to hear the gospel from your lips? Then live a life that reflects the gospel. That's not, see, that's, that's very convicting. Yeah, amen. Lastly, there was constant growth. The last thing here in verse 47, praising God and having favor with all the people and the Lord added to the church, how often? Daily, such as would be saved. <clears throat> now, the church wasn't filling up with just with people. You know who came to church? The saved. That's, that's the main reason Jesus said, feed my sheep. Now, the church is also a place where you're going to hear the gospel. Amen. But when you got saved, they joined the church. It grew and there was constant growth. A New Testament church grows. Here, this, this Christianity, first century Christianity, grew daily. And it's been said, either we evangelize and win people to Christ, or we fossilize. When I was in England, <clears throat> every time I go to England, it's a, a horrible shame to drive by these old churches, and now they're coffee shops, libraries, mosques. Doesn't that discourage you? That ought to scare you. If we don't evangelize, we'll become just like that. What is this building going to be used for in 10 years if the Lord tarries? If we don't keep, listen, when the losters leave, who's going to take their place? What family are we going to win to Christ? Get, disciple, baptize. If we don't keep doing this, and we have to always be ready to change. I'm talking about not doctrine, but we have to adapt. People come and go. But we should be growing, shouldn't we? Amen. Every one of us know people who are lost and need a witness, a gospel track, an invite to church. And if all of us actually opened our mouths and just invited somebody to church, we would see people come. You say, oh, no, they won't. Yes, they do. They come. I came. Some of you are the product of somebody else inviting to church, giving, them a, giving you a gospel. I know nobody reads today, but there's probably somebody that will. Let's see if we can't start seeing people saved every day like it was. I don't know if it's even. I've never seen somebody saved every day. Never seen it. What if we did? You see, if I find in the Bible the pattern, that's what I want to match. That's my mission statement. 
if we just saw one a week, wouldn't that be good? Let's commit to these steps, being a healthy church. Look at that, where each person's saved. See, the people that come to church, my goal is not that you get comfortable, but that you get saved. If you're not saved, I got to make it hot and heavy so that you realize you're lost and without hope. You need God to save you now, today, not tomorrow. Because a healthy church is full of saved people, isn't it? Amen. An unhealthy church would be full of unsaved people. Do you understand what I'm saying? Healthy church is where you're scripturally baptized, not sprinkled, not dipped in, <laughs> but scripturally baptized in water all the way in after getting saved. And a scriptural church is not just people passively attending. I'm glad you're here. But it'd be a whole lot better if you say, you know what? I'm going to make this my church. I'm going to join the church. I joined today. You want to join the day? Talk to me. I've got a little leaflet there. You look at it. You say, that's, that's me. I'm going. Then let's do it. See, you don't just join a church by osmosis. You join a church by choice. And by the way, the church needs to know, eh, are you for real? Before you just start lining up and doing everything with everybody else. Healthy church is people who join the church. And they're steadfast in those four big areas. Learning Bible doctrine. Staying together in fellowship, taking the Lord's Supper uh, seriously and often and praying always. This church had a healthy fear, healthy dose of the fear of the Lord. They regularly experienced the impossible. They met each other's needs. They were unified by living the Bible, not the Baptist way or the Irish way. Or any other culture, forget whatever culture you've got. Let's let's have a Bible culture. Because I think it worked, amen. I think that's the best culture ever. And they actively worship Jesus. They worked on a good testimony, having a good testimony both at home and at church and on the job. You are a Christian 24-7, you know that. And they sought constant growth. I just want to see people saved. Does that burden you? People just aren't getting saved. It breaks my heart. I don't know what else to do. I just know I've got to stay broken about it. I got to keep going. I got to keep on it. I mean, I'm trying these little bitty cards, just getting them to go to a YouTube, man. Just watch the gospel on YouTube. Whatever we can do. Would you help me? Are you in? You see, there are people who are don't even know. Are they saved or are they just religious? And if I could take your spiritual pulse, are you passionate about living the Christian life or are you just barely here? Does sin have you or does Jesus have you? There is a difference, folks. Are you in or are you out? Stand with me. We'll pray. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, we have a great opportunity. I believe we're in the last days. I think every Christian in this room knows we're in the last days. We don't have to be convinced that it's not on our side. This world is, is changing faster and becoming darker than ever. And yet the gospel throughout all of history has always broken through, has always made an impact, has always turned the world upside down. And we here in Balancholy have a, have a, a, have a chance to make a difference. We can throw this away and we can just barely come and just barely hold together and 
to forfeit our responsibility of, of reaching our generation. Or we can repent right now and say, Lord, I'm sorry. I've been very apathetic. I've been lazy. I've been cold. I've been bitter. I've been hard. I've been offended. I've let everything come between me and what I'm supposed to be. And right now, God, in this quiet time, Lord, would we confess that we need more than ever, God, we need to commit to these things. This is our mission statement of what we are supposed to be. We cannot compare and say, I can't do that. We can't do that. We have to say, we must strive for these things. It's, if somebody goes to hell, it's on their own head. If somebody's going to walk away from church, it's on their own head. If we're going to let people go to hell outside of these doors, it's on our own head. So, Lord, if it's that much responsibility on us, help us to make the right decision right now, God. The broken heart, say, Lord, make me a witness. Break my heart about the lost around me. Help me, God, that when I'm with the brethren, that I treat them like the best family ever, like treat them better than everyone else that I'm around. God, we're in the presence of saints. Whatever I attitude I have coming into a place like this, may I shake it, dump it, and have the mind and the heart of Christ and minister because this is where the action is. This is where change takes place. I pray that it lasts. Anybody in this room is not sure of salvation. I don't know what's going to hold them back, but may they not stay back, God. May they come and talk to me. Lord, I'll take all afternoon, explain whatever I can, help them to get saved. If somebody wants to join the church, I pray they come and talk to me today. If somebody's not been scripturally baptized, it's time. We're going to have a baptism here soon. Lord, there's plenty of things to do. Don't let anybody just sit and go, oh, I'll do it next week. You may not have next week. So, Lord, bless this message. Bless this burden upon us that we would live so much more like that first century Christian church. In Jesus' name, amen. Grab your hymnal.